and welcome into the Get Up Speak Up podcast. We have three debutants on today. Finn Glancy, Harry Morrison and Alfie Kingsley-Smith are all on for the first time and we're talking football. The Premier League is back, quieter and weirder than ever and we're going to be sharing our thoughts on Project Restart and whether or not it's right that players should be getting prioritised over members of the public for testing. We're also going to be making our top four relegation and golden boot predictions before capping off the episode with a round of what's more likely for next season. So all that coming up. Before the guys join us on the line, I just want to speak to you quickly about Ahead of Time Academy. Ahead of Time Academy are a new platform that provide all kinds of skills that the mainstream school curriculum don't give you. And using the promo code GUSU, you can get discounted access to their webinars, tutorials, future events, and much more. They've got some sick stuff on there. Deeper stuff like a webinar coming up on Thursday about going through the sixth form years and more practical skills like writing a CV for that summer job. They even had a Paralympic athlete give a talk, which is still on their website right now. So they have all sorts. I think it can be hard sometimes figuring out exactly what services will benefit you. But the key is to look for variety and to look for value. Ahead of Time Academy really have all bases covered from specific skills to more general life lessons. So you'll be sure to find something that will directly benefit you. And then with the GUSU promo code, you're definitely getting your value. The GUSU promo code gets you 50% off the standard subscription. If you'd rather check it out first, then of course you can sign up for free. Visit their website to register. The link will be in the description. I've signed up for the standard subscription. But if that one's not for you, the free subscription option is there and you'd be crazy not to take that. Whichever one's best for you, remember to type in your GUSU discount code to get your value. And now we have the three of them on the line. Harry... Finn and Alfie. Boys, thank you for making your debuts. So it's going to be the three of us today and we're going to be talking football. And before we get into everything that Project Restart has entailed, I mean, like, there's no no major news since the restart. There was some minor news though. I don't know if you guys heard um, about it. Apparently some team won a trophy they hadn't won in a while or something like that. Um, but um, no one's particularly interested in that. By the looks of things, BBC Sport and Sky Sports have that covered for about the next 100,000 years. So we'll move on uh, straight on to Project Restart and the weirdness of getting back to it. Uh, and it has been kind of strange to see some of the stuff. No fans, of course, but all these drinks breaks, socially distant subs, like all sat across the stands dubbed crowd noise. Um, United the other day had the first ever quintuple substitution against Sheffield United, changing half their outfield players in one go. How have you guys found Project Restart generally? Anything that's most weird? Yeah, so, I don't know. I don't think it's been great. As you said, like, Liverpool winning the league. Mm. I don't want to give a team much airtime because we know it's going to be... Um, media just going to bang on about it for the next 10 years so yeah, uh, so yeah I think I, I think with water breaks I don't really think they're needed I think they definitely slow down mm. slow down the game yeah and obviously it isn't the same about fans there's no no sort of like atmosphere I don't know the excitement before the game it's yeah it's all yeah it's all quite quite subdued so yeah I'm glad it's back but no, what I love, what I loved about some of the dub sounds is when the when the sound comes like way too late. When it's when there's like a yeah. it's like a save, keeper's got it in their hands, he's clearing the ball, and then the ooh comes. Then yeah. it's gonna be funny. See, see I, I don't like watching. I don't like watching it with the with the sound with the fans on. Oh, you don't watch it on that one. I, if 
like a FIFA game. It's like a, it's literally like a FIFA game. It's horrible. It's, um, yeah, yeah. Without the fans, it's better. You can kind of hear like you know the coaches kind of you know talking. Yeah. Granite Shaka, no one wants to hear that. What's that? What's that, Harry? You've got to hear players like Granit Shaka shouting at each other. They're making a big deal about, oh, he's the leader, you can hear him now. Right, fans, it's time. I think the subs, I think five subs is a good thing as well. That should be carried on. So I think it's better, especially for the kind of the young players who get a bit of a go. You know, the subs thing isn't too bad. The water breaks are weird, though. It makes it, it's just like, but yeah, but I, I heard the commentator say something the other day when I was watching um, Southampton Arsenal, and this was just before I fell asleep. I heard him say <laughs> the the water break, the water break has come at a good time for Southampton, and that's when I was like, okay, no, this is too much. Starting to move a bit more like the NBA and the NFL with timeouts and things like that. I'm not a big fan of the water yeah. break. I don't think it's like the last few days have been, but. Not the whole restart has been like drastically hotter than the end of May when the season would finish anyway. So I guess it's because they haven't had match fitness, but you know, that's a strange. I, I, it has given some teams a chance to regroup in like one half. Because I remember, you know, the Southampton Arsenal game, it gave the Southampton players a bit of a chance, you know, the managers go to players and say what they need to change in that half. But sometimes just one team talk in a game is sometimes not enough. And maybe, you know, that does give, you know, teams a bit of an impetus to go and push on in, you know, late in the second half or something. No, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I in my opinion, that's a bad. I, I want the players to be fending for themselves and have to battle. I don't like this idea that a water break is coming at a convenient. Like, how do you, as the better side, how do you really build substantial momentum there if you know if you're if you're what's, constantly what's being stopped? The, just as the, just from, as like from a spectator's point of view as well, you, you want you want the game to flow. That's what's so good about, especially Premier League football. It's fast. It's that is yeah. action packed. I think we're all a little bit scarred by that Sheffield United Aston Villa game that we all was we were all like, oh Premier League's back guys Premier League's back let's watch like two of the most mundane boring bland teams slug out in a nil nil draw Project Restart we're all starving for football right we all want its return but what's your guys take on footballers being tested twice and three times a week when not everyone who's showing symptoms is getting tested. That is the situation. Footballers are being tested two to three times a week yeah. and not everyone who shows symptoms for the coronavirus has access to a test. Yeah, no, it's not good enough, really. Um, obviously, the football's important coming back. And there's always talk about it raising morale, but there's more important things going on. These tests yeah. are needed. NHS frontline staff, essential workers, not getting them. And really and truly, I'm not trying to see David Luiz come first. Like, it's not that important. <laughs> but then again, obviously, it, it has made a difference, the football coming back. And there's something to talk about, but in perspective, you want to see these tests go to the right places first. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that massively. Go on, Alfie. But I, that's mismanagement from the top. That's not necessarily of course, of course. like a restart. That's just the, the awful Tory government that we have at the moment. That's that's a, you know the reality that we have. It's not to do with Project Restart. That's just that you know resources being distributed in the complete wrong way. You know that's mismanagement from the top. I agree. And we've had the football coming back. You know, football is always in the firing line as well. It's always blamed. It's always Footballers getting blamed for these things. So as, as, as important as it is that these tests go elsewhere, I don't think it's, it's, it's not footballers' fault. No, it, it, it's not the footballers' fault, but hang on, hang on a second, Alfie. I just want to ask you, before you go, Finn, I just want to ask Alfie on that, because I understand what you're saying, that it's it's coming from the top, but the situation is what it is. The, situ the, the Premier League know that there's a finite number of tests and not enough to go around for everyone, not enough to go around for all the frontline health workers and not enough to go around for everyone who has symptoms. With that knowledge, whoever's fault 
that predicament is. With that knowledge, the Premier League are deciding to plough ahead. So what do you think about that decision? I understand about blame, but, but, but in but the context of the situation, what do you think about the Premier League's decision there? On the society we live in, you know, the more financial incentive, obviously, you know, tests are going to go to Premier League footballers because there is more financial incentive for that to happen to get football underway and stuff like that. That's more the society we live in rather than, you know, the, the project restarted. So, you know, I, I don't think, you know, maybe you could, you could argue that the Premier League shouldn't have restarted because they knew that they, the footballers were getting the tests and, you know, that would prevent NHS work to get the tests. But I don't think you can put it down to, to, to that. Yeah, I think it's quite hard to argue, like, if there has been a, a, a test that's gone to a uh, professional Premier League player ahead of an NHS like a worker, I think I don't I, I don't know how you can argue like the validity of that. Yeah, and yeah, no, I agree. If that has happened, I don't think I don't think the restart should have yeah. come around as quickly. But I can't say that the FA or whoever was in charge of Project Restart should have said, okay, so because of the society we live in. The footballers will get the test over NHS workers. Therefore, we shouldn't start football. I don't think that reason. I can't. I don't even go along with that reason because well, um, test, test aside, there's also issues of like why are these why are we allowing like these bubbles of players to not really follow social distancing, but youth clubs and stuff like that aren't opening up. Let's move on now to some of our Champions League places predictions for this season. Who's making that top four? The current top four is Liverpool, of course, Man City, Leicester and Chelsea with United and Wolves snapping at their ankles. Harry, I know you're big on Leicester this season. You've got them making your top four. Why is that? I think they've got a good back line. Going forward, they're strong with Vardy. I think Brendan Rodgers has got them working pretty well as a unit. I don't see, they've been consistent all season. I don't see a reason why they drop off. Um... I see Leicester them. Fair enough. It is a six-point gap, to be fair, with seven to play. Finn, who you got? Yeah, so I've gone the same. I've just gone Liverpool, City, Leicester, Chelsea. I think the real battle is between, in my opinion, Chelsea, uh, United, and Spurs. I think I think those three teams like they're quite they're quite similar in terms of ability and form. Um, and I think it's going to be a scrap to the end. But I think Chelsea will Chelsea will edge it, especially with that win over City. I think I think the momentum that 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 win's going to bring is just going to be sort of like quite telling mm. by the end of it. Okay, so. okay, fair enough. Yeah. So my one is obviously Liverpool City, and then I have Chelsea and Man United over Leicester. Um, I know it's a six-point lead, which is a big one with seven to play, but. Looking at the fixtures, Leicester have Everton, Arsenal, Sheffield United, Tottenham and Man United left to play, whereas United have Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, Southampton, Palace and West Ham before that final game against Leicester. With that big disparity in standard of opposition, I think United can get within striking distance on final day and then maybe topple them with a win at the King Power Stadium. It will be interesting to see. Interesting that no one went for Wolves there. Yeah, I think, I don't get me wrong, I think they, they just won today as well, 1-0 against Villa, but I think they're a great team. And I think they, they work so well as a team, especially that trio of Chaiwere, Jimenez, and Ruben Neves, and Conor Cody at the back, actually, and Doc Tia, right wing back. They've got a great squad. <laughs> keep going, I keep going. I just, I just don't think they have that sort of, they don't really have that experience of fighting for a Champions League place recent, in recent history. I think, I think they don't, as a team, they might not have the experience to 
to take it over the line and to like to, to really sort of grab it while it's there. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We saw last season, didn't we, in the race for top four between Arsenal, United and Chelsea, how when it got to crunch time, everyone just started losing and Chelsea kind of limped over the line. I think it does take a bit of experience and a bit of composure to make that final stretch into top four and maybe Wolves will be lacking that, but we will see, we will see. And what about the relegation battle? What are we saying there? Who, who's going down this season? Uh, so I think, I think Norwich, I think they're definitely gone. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no, there's no question about it. They're, they're down. Um, I was going to say, I, I quite like the look of Norwich at the start of the season, the opening game. They, yeah. They did lose to Liverpool, but I thought, I thought like, the likes of Cantwell... You know, there was there was a there was a there was a massive hype around Puki. I thought I thought they might have done quite well. I just think they lack they lack a spine and defensive solidity that is just crucial to for like new teams in the Prem. No, that's um, such a good point. At the start of the season, everyone was like hot on Puki. He was on everyone's fantasy team week yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Cantwell looked nice. He can he can play, but they yeah. just never they just never ground out any results. Yeah. Never won ugly. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because I do quite like some of those players, but. I think Villa, I think Villa will go down. Right. Um, I just, I genuinely think they have one of the poorest squads in the league. I think, I feel so sorry for, whenever I watch them, I feel so sorry for Grealish, just trying to pull the strings of a broken system, which just isn't working. Mm. I think they're, he just doesn't, they're pretty shot. He doesn't have the supporting cast, he just doesn't have it there. No, I think, I think, I think, if you ever saw a championship side in the Premier League, it's been, Villa at the moment. Mm. They weren't that um, because I, I, I support Leeds quite a bit. So I watched Villa a couple of times in the championship last year. They look, they, they look average. Even the championship, they look pretty average. Yeah, they're just a bit of a step below. And I think, I yeah. think Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth. Oh, you're going Bournemouth. So I, I think I think that running is possibly the hardest running in the league. I don't think they're going to see many points out of that. Although I say that, I think West Ham versus Villa on the last day of the season was huge as well. But Villa might already and be that, down. Villa might already be down. That'd be really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah, so, so I've gone for Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth. Put it in the stone. Finns go in Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth. And I know that you guys also have Bournemouth going down along with Villa and Norwich. You two, Harry and Alfie, also have that. So not going to run for it with you guys as well, but just quickly, where's all the where's the love gone for Bournemouth? Yeah, fortunately, um, something that hasn't clicked this season like it usually does uh, for Bournemouth in the Premier League. So I, I think their time is up, unfortunately. I'm going to... Eddie Howe's an unreal manager, though. Unreal. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna buck the trend. Villa, I'm also going to have us going down. I see them as really just Jack Grealish FC. There's not really much coming from anywhere else. McGinn, he had a good start to the season, but he has massively trailed off. He's playing there somewhere. He's playing a bit of thing, but I'm not going to lie. He's been enjoying lockdown. Oh, he's been enjoying quarantine. He's been enjoying quarantine. Um, but my third team is going to be West Ham. And the reason is because... Where where is their where is their quality? Where's their goals coming from? As someone who kept faith in Felipe Anderson on fantasy this year, I can confirm he has dropped the hell off. Lanzini has had injury problems left, right, and centre, and 
I'm not as much of a believer as in Haller as everyone seems to be. I'm definitely not a believer in Mikel Antonio up front. So where where's their quality in the final third? Where's their goal going to come from? Other than Diop from a corner, I can't see it. I think compared to four, compared to the other teams, I think they have slightly better players. I think Diop's a good player. Diop's a good player. I think if Lanzini can get back fit, if Felipe Anderson can start firing, you know, don't, Felipe Anderson was doing well at the start of the season. If he can get a couple of goals from somewhere, and I reckon Haller will get a couple of goals. I think he'll get a couple of goals. I was, I, say, I, I was just going to say about West Ham. I think ever since they left Upton Park, I think the spirit of that club is just like van. I've been to watch them and it's literally like the feeling you get when you walk in the stadium you're so far away from the pitch it's so hard to generate like an atmosphere because it's just so big um, yeah it just it just doesn't feel like West Ham used to feel like just that feeling you got once you got inside up to part it's something special about that everyone everyone just like standing up like shouting like, I don't know it's just a great performance back then they were they were you know challenging for Europe for Europe, Europe League you know they, they came fifth one season they've been a bit bereft of any sort of spirit or passion I think since yeah. then I don't know I think they always it's, it's, it's been extracted out of that club as soon as they moved to that stadium all the spirit all the passion all that legendary status that they had it's just been completely completely evaporated so those those are our picks for relegation. Just quickly, then, who do you guys have chalked down for the golden boot? I'm gonna go for for Aubameyang. I'm gonna stick with him. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> he's I'm gone not, home. I'm confident with that one. I'm not saying it my chest, but it's more of a hopeful prediction. <laughs> it's, it's not a good Arsenal side. They're not creating chances, but you can't ever put put the golden boot past Aubameyang. Okay. Uh, Mo Salah obviously on 17 as well, doing well, but I'm gonna stick with Aubameyang. I'm going to back you, Harry. I'm backing you. I'm also going to go with Aubameyang. Um, I've got him down. I've said this before, very controversially. For my money, he's the best striker in the Premier League. Ahead of Aguero, ahead of Kane. His supporting cast compared to Aguero is a joke. It's absolutely ridiculous that he's ever in the conversation. He's a born goal scorer. He is lightning quick. And a lot of people don't notice that. But he has the best... XG stat this season. XG is expected goals from the goalkeeper you're shooting against and the angle you're shooting from. And he has the best of any striker for that. So that's an advanced analytic which scrapes away all the all the. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, it's, it's the type of stats Arsenal players are relying on these days. <laughs> no, but Finn, Finn, that's a good stat because it takes all the fluff out of the tappings. It takes, it takes, <laughs> it takes all the fluff out of the out of um, the tappings and things like that. It shows you who is the best finisher, and for me, he's the best striker in the league. So I'm gonna go for Aubameyang. He's two behind. Salah's two behind as well. But after they've won the league, I can see Klopp rotating the squad a bit. And I've already said that I think Leicester might struggle a bit, so I'm going to go with Aubameyang. Yeah, I think I think Vardy's going to hold on to it, to be fair. I think I have a bit more faith in Leicester than you guys, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know. They're just, they've just been great all season, and I don't really see any reasons why they'd stop. I mean, just to quickly talk about another Midlands club, I've got to throw out a golden boot honourable mention to Raul Jimenez. Uh, I don't think any of us would say he'd actually win the golden boot but an honorable mention has to be thrown out there he's such an underrated goal scorer and i'll just say i definitely wouldn't mind seeing that guy at old trafford yeah harry harry looking doubtful yeah. harry looking doubtful <laughs> well, I, I 
Like, why would he do that? Like, difference in size of club. Yeah, wages, mate. Hundred grand a week. <laughs> but also, it's not, not just wages. It's just the, the clout of the club. Like, do you know what I mean? They're, they're in different leagues. Well, they're both in the Premier. It looks like they're both in the Europa League as well. Yeah, all right, Harry. All right, Harry. That's getting edited. That's getting edited out. Okay. <laughs> okay. I want to talk um, about Arsenal. Obviously, we've got two Arsenal fans on the podcast. Majority proud Arsenal fans. Proud Arsenal Arsenal fans. Three, three. Don't forget Fins here. Oh. <laughs> um, and a lot of the listeners to the podcast are Arsenal fans. And I think it's fair to say objectively, without any banter, without any undercut and tone, you guys are in a bit of a pickle at the moment. Let's just put it that way. Um, in your view as Arsenal fans long standing Arsenal fans what's the problem? Mesut Ozil no Cronky <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's straight to the top like for years we've mismanaged it's been a shambles it's not It's not a, a problem that we've just seen in the last few seasons we haven't made we haven't been we've, the goal is to compete in the Champions League and that's why I moved to Highbury uh, to Emirates, sorry, from Ivory. Yeah. But we haven't been past around a 16 since what, 2009, 2010. So it's not it's not a new problem. It's poor recruitment and poor investment, really. It's going to take five years. That's how, that you know, it takes that amount of time to build a good structure, a well-structured club and a good team. And that's that's how long it's going to take. So, right, so... But, Klopp, is, Klopp was backed by the owner. So Klopp, what, he signed... Exactly. We need a yeah. The combination of management from the top and players being brought in, you know, good recruitment to produce a, a, a Champions League uh, winning team. Right, and but the the um the the from the top like narrative has been pushed, but from uh, like for a while by Arsenal fans. But you are in the situation you're in. Stan Kroenke is not going to wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to invest my own money in Arsenal after so many years of not doing so." And he's not going to suddenly wake up and say, I'm going to sell Arsenal. So, in the predicament you're in, that's what I'm talking about, in the confines of reality, and Stan Kroenke is your owner, what practical things can be done? Get rid of of Ozil, get rid of silly contract players on silly contracts, um, and bring in, you know, good, talented young players. You can't just have like under twenty three young up and coming talented players exclusively. But you still don't give David Luiz or Cedric the contract. In my you don't, but the damage was done years ago. Like the yeah, squad, our longest serving player, our longest serving players are keeper Emily Martinez. Like he's, he's not going to make a difference, is he? There's no, there's no identity at the club. And as long as they bring through these young players, but I think, I think that's the only, that's the only positive. That's the only positive we have. You know, you look at Bakayo Saka, you look at Gabriel Martinelli. You could be part of the project. But then you look around them, no experience, no spine, nothing. Nothing. Mm. Well, the spine that they're trying to create is with Cedric and David Luiz. Like, what experience yeah. is that? And that's a really spine. That's, that's a fucking backless spine. That's the most yeah. pointless <laughs> spine you've ever fucking had. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dislocated spine. There was, an article, there was an article in The Athletic by James McNicholas the other day after the Brighton defeat who was giving Arteta a bit of a pass, really, and he said, this is a poorly assembled squad with too many problematic contract situations and the coach is largely blameless in that regard. To what yeah. to what degree do you agree with that in terms of Arteta being blameless? And as a follow-up, part two question, how much time would you give him? I mean, Arteta is never completely faultless. He can't escape the responsibility. But the structure of Arsenal football club, football club since Wenger left, you've got Raul Sinelli, you've got Edu, you've got 
um, Vinay in place, really calling the shots. So his role as head coach for not long at all is not at fault. Is not you can't blame him for what's going on at the club in terms of contracts extensions. You look at David Luiz signing, Cedric signing, um, a few others. Although he does obviously have a role to play in that, he's not the one really leading that sort of discussion. You've got Edu and you've got Sinelli pulling the strings. So the extent to which he's at blame is limited. But he's, conv- he's convincing what he's coming out and saying. His management of Guendouzi over the last few days has been strong. And I think most Arsenal fans will back him in the sense that we do see an Arsenal that we recognise in Arteta. You see someone who's like passionate about the club that Emery couldn't really get across. And the fans are backing Arteta. If not the club, I think Arteta's got the support of the fans at the moment and for the foreseeable future. What is the for- what does it quantify the foreseeable future though? What does that mean? Well, if we get relegated, I'm not sure it's staying. No, but <laughs> of these, of this, like mid-table mediocrity. Well, you, what can you what can you expect of that squad with that investment, um, with the mismanagement at the top? Realistically, I reckon he gets to the end of next season before we start expecting some change. I'm not being funny. He, he did spend 17 on one player last season in Pepe. And of course, but really, we also signed really Pepe Saliba at centre-back. So we're obviously not a club spending big, although that is obviously our record signing to be fair to Arsenal Arsenal have also made some good signings in terms of value for money in recent years I would say that um, Socrates is a more of a veteran figure even though he's not the best defender in terms of value for money I don't know how the hell they managed to get someone of Aubameyang's quality in the team I thought that Martinelli was a crude excellent bit of work by Edu so transfers sometimes can be a bit of a crapshoot and there's been plenty of laughable signings by clubs left, right and centre. Like, let's not forget, Man City spent £40 million on Claudio Bravo, had to go and buy another keeper the next year. The difference between Man City and Arsenal, you then have the financial muscle to immediately replace them the next year yeah. and spend that money. There's no way Arsenal was spending £45 million on a CDM like Xhaka and then after you realise he's terrible, going and spending £60 million on Partey. They're just not going to do that. Yeah. No, and, and, and you're right. And you can't just base it on, you know, City are just a completely unique case. Because what they do is they buy a player, he's shit, they buy another player. With Arsenal, the, the, the faults are highlighted because we don't have the financial capacity to get another player. So our transfers are a lot more scrutinised in a club like City. Um, we have, as you say, we've, we've made some shrewd investments. We have made some shrewd investments in the last couple of years. But the bulk of the transfers, it's just been targeted at the wrong area. How have we not signed a, a decent centre-half? It's literally been 10 years we haven't had a, like, a solid, solid centre-half. Or a CDM. Or a CDM. Or, or a CDM. Or, or, but, but we were talking about the other day, weren't we, guys? Like, you know, the, the general culture of players not defending. There's no, there's no centre-half screaming out to you right now, you know, in the, in, in the Arsenal team. I want to defend. I love defending. I want to keep the every game. We've never had that. In the last 10 years, we've never had someone like that. We haven't someone who's got, he's been aggressive, he's got the basics of defending right. Um, you know, we, you don't need a defender, you don't necessarily need a, like a VVD or, you know, a, a PK who's got great ball playing ability on the ball. You just need a defender that loves to defend and that will, do, that will get a clean sheet at all costs. And Arsenal have just been lacking those spine, that spine and those, you know, aggressive, determined players to come in for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Like Vieira is the last player who had that determination. When you look at the team since maybe 2010, the last decade, that's where it's been really kind of weak and feeble yeah. in those spine that, that, positions. That, that, 05 to 10 was, 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 you know, that was, it wasn't great, but it was okay. 
And also, it's been highlighted more because it's a new era in the Premier League where everyone has money. You know, Wolves have quality, Leicester have quality, and we're seeing the more established clubs um, drop and drop. Another point you raised, Mario, the, the injuries. Arsenal have a history. The past 10 years, the injuries we have got. What about the fact that it's different managers and different systems with different players? Why is it perpetually Arsenal who are like disproportionately suffering from muscle injuries? It's just... It's weird. I think you know it's it. Part part of it is probably the fact that we just we keep you know injury prone players on long contracts. Like if you look at Abu Dhabi, <laughs> did he play like did he play more than X number of games of the season? You know, five over against the season. You know, he's just constantly injured. Jack Wilshere was the same. I know we got you know, and it's just all Danny, these players kind of keep getting injured. Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck. Mm. Danny Welbeck. That's another example. Um, yeah, people love to praise Wenger for keeping him on, though. There was this idea that he was a good guy. Mm, that's a good point. Arsenal fans used to love that. He, he had faith in his players. Everyone was like, oh, Wenger's not like the rest of the managers. He trusts his players. They're going to come good. And that was all well and good when you were making top four. And now... That's, that's all nice about that. Yeah, if you're trying to win trophies, I'm not sure that's the right policy to have. Mm, but, but the, the problem is, though, Mario, is that you can say now, like, you know, we've got a load of injuries recently. And maybe you could say Arteta's introducing a bit of like city-like intensity to our training, and obviously Arsenal players can't hack that. Maybe I don't know. But, but Man City players don't get injured. Yeah, we've all just had three months off, and we get back to the fixtures, and it's literally like, oh, that Arsenal player's down. What's that? Two minutes. Oh, another Arsenal player's down. What's that? Half an hour. Next game. Oh, Leno's down. What's that? Twenty minutes. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. The rate at which we as a club. It's, it's just unprecedented. Like, we just constantly get, you know, it's like, it's, it's such a difficult question to put down to because we don't know what fitness regimes the Arsenal coaches have given them. We don't know the ins and outs of what's going on. But it's been over multiple yeah. coaching staffs, though. It's been over multiple yeah. coaching staff. Traditionally, there was the idea that Arsenal play good football or pass it about and teams to beat them, they have to kick them and like play physical against them. So maybe that, that contributes. But really and truly, we're just keep getting these injuries no matter how we're playing we haven't been playing we're just guessing I think at this point we're just we're, we're just guessing yeah there's no way to know theories. I don't think there's any way of knowing mm. I don't know it just doesn't it's just Arsenal just like Arsenal's luck yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's a head-scratcher. It is a head-scratcher. That is something Arsenal are, of course, going to have to internally work out. Can't say I mind too much as a United fan, but I can promise you we have plenty of problems of our own. Okay, now we're going to do a round of like which is more likely for next season. We're going to go through a couple options, a couple permutations for next season and discuss which one A, B or sometimes C is most likely to happen. So, which is most likely, which is most likely for next season? A, Man United and Arsenal make the Champions League spots or B, Wolves and Leicester make the Champions League spots? What are we saying? A or B? Uh, definitely B. I don't, I don't think either option will happen, but I think uh, Wolves and Leicester are just, they're just way closer to reaching that top four I think Arsenal are a long way off I think it's going to be a few years before they even come into the conversation around top four their, their squad's going to need a massive rebound I think United could, could as well just as easily slip down the table um, we're, we're, as United fans are all riding this wave at the moment that it's all positive and Martial's just scored a hat-trick and everything but we know what this last six years have been like we, we can just go on a, on a run of bad form 
I agree with you there. I agree with you there, but I think that's crazy. Looking at the two squads, I I don't think you could possibly say it's more likely that Wolves and Leicester finish both both of them. So Finn, that would mean ahead of Chelsea, ahead of United, and ahead of Tottenham, both of them. Like that seems incredibly unlikely. But anyway, go on, Alfie and Harry. Yeah, but I think I just I just think Leicester and Wolves are much closer to the top four. I think it's too much of a gap. Like it's it's almost an it's not an impossibility, but the chart, like, I don't know what the odds are, but the odds of Arsenal making it top four this season can't be that great. So, All right, go on, Alfie and Harry. I think A is definitely the most likely to happen, just on the basis that I can't see Wolves or Leicester losing top four next season. I don't think. <laughs> Harry? Yeah, it's a tough one. I can't see Wolves, Leicester, or maybe City, Liverpool top four. I can't see it happening with these top clubs. Like, you'd have Chelsea, what, sixth? You'd have Sheffield United still looking good. Although they're not getting top four, um, <laughs> but Arsenal aren't anywhere near good enough to make top four next season. Neither United, if we're being honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if if which one's more likely, you're gonna have to say Arsenal United, just yeah. purely on the possibility of what can happen over the summer. Yeah. As good as Leicester and Wolves are recruiting, you do feel like there's a ceiling for those clubs. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Except what they, what they can attract. A Pepe scores 15 Premier League goals. B Rashford scores 15 Premier League goals. Which one is more likely? Ooh. Harry? Well, as I was say, Pepe's been in round three. He's not even a striker, so I don't know why he's been compared to Rashford. Um, no, it's not about it's not it's not about comparison. It's just, it is, it's who's just scoring more goals. No, it's not. It's not. It's who's more like it's not who's scoring more goals. It's otherwise. Who's more likely to score more goals? No, who's more likely to score fifteen goals? I'm gonna have to go with Pepe. Spice it up. Okay. I think I think he'll come good. He's shown he's shown flashes of what he can do. And fifteen goals is a lot for a wide player, but that's what you get when you spend seventeen. Finn. Yeah, he's got 14. He's got 14 this season. Yeah, especially as he scores, scores penalties. Yeah, I was just about to say. I'm, I'm not taking anyway, anything away from that, really. um, but I just think he doesn't really have the players around him. I am taking things away from Pepe. I'm going to go Rashford, but I'm going to go Rashford mainly because of penalties. We get a lot of penalties, predominantly because Rashford sometimes doesn't finish and instead buys the foul. And I think that despite but him not being very clinical, be, we'll get more. If, if, if Bamiang but United, we get a lot of penalties. Arsenal give away a lot of penalties. <laughs> um, okay, number three. Which one's more likely next season? A. Liverpool win the Premier League, or B. Anyone other than Liverpool win the Premier League? Oh, come on, Liverpool have got it in the bag next year. Easy days. What? Easy days. The what? Easy yeah. days. No way. Easy days. No way. Got to remember. The, the projects that Liverpool and City have both gone under. They're, they're, they're at the pinnacle of Liverpool and City are playing some of the best football the Premier League has ever seen, if not the best football the Premier League has ever seen. Okay, question four. Which is more likely next season? A. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets sacked. B. Jose Mourinho gets sacked. Or C. Mikel Arteta gets sacked. Which is most likely next season? I'm going to go Jose Mourinho. You're going Jose? I don't think Arteta's going anywhere, um, just purely because he's, he's got some time in the bank, as it were. But he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty safe for the time being. Um, 
Ole, I, I don't think United have a great season, but to be sacked, he's shown that they're, they're pretty willing to stick with him. And, and Tottenham just aren't looking great, so they won't invest. They're struggling financially, and Jose is not getting the best out of that Tottenham side. So yeah, I think well, most. But, li- I don't think necessarily they will go, but I think most likely. Jose. I think it's a big toss-up between think, um, Mourinho and Solskjaer. I think Arteta is. He's got going nowhere next season. I'm surprised you say that. If, even if he finishes 10th, I think uh, I think they'll be all right because I, I genuinely can't see him leaving. I can't see the board sacking Arteta. I think he's been the chosen man to try and go somewhere with Arsenal. I don't think they're going to move to a good temperament, but just a ship under the bears. I think they'll keep the favour of him and that he can hopefully start to rebuild. Because I don't personally see any... Um, I, I, I can't see... I, I can see Mourinho being sacked by Spurs next year quite easily, personally. All right, Glance? Yeah, I can see. I can see the atmosphere at Tottenham so, turning re- really toxic next season. If they don't invest in a centre half, and if they don't invest in a midfielder, there's obviously issues with Ndombele and Jose. There's issues. They're not starting Yabatangan or Alderweireld. You've got to remember, Arteta and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer both try and play quite positive football. Mourinho, we know, will you know, obviously have Spurs in two backs of four. And we'll always play that way. And you underestimate the toxic nature that that can bring into a club. Number five, which is more likely? A, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leaves Arsenal. Paul Pogba leaves Man United. Or C, Harry Kane leaves Spurs. Pogba, 100%, surely. Why? Pogba. I, think he, I, 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 think, I don't think Pogba's ever liked club since he's come back I think I think he wants I think Aubameyang is, 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 is he's got a lot of passion and drive for the club I, I, I personally think I think he likes um, you know he's, he's Lacazette, him and Lacazette you know that he's got reasons to stay at the club I don't think Pogba from the moment he signed the United I don't think Pogba likes you know, the way United has run or the, or the club has run if United have Champions League football either then what's the, what's the draw there and Pogba's if you believe the papers is is not happy at United. I'll have to disagree and definitely go definitely go Aubameyang. I think the best striker in the Premier League right now deserves to be over their club. Whew, that's a ruthless assessment there, Finn. Ruthless. I'm sure Arsenal fans will be hoping you are wrong. And with that emphatic statement, we will draw this podcast to a close. That was a great episode. It was so great to have you guys on. Always fun to talk football on the podcast. Always fun to kick Arsenal when they're down. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we will catch you next time on Get Up, Speak Up.